we've embarked on a journey, uh, an inner journey of practice, inquiring deeply into ourselves, into the body and mind, giving us a chance to really truly understand the workings of this heart, mind, and body. And to be on retreat, we are giving ourselves an opportunity to see exactly what is the truth of life within. When there's grasping, we understand how painful this can be. And when there's freedom from grasping, freedom from holding, we can also understand the peace, the deep inner peace that can come in a momentary freedom. Now, it's a chance to be here and just to put down all the burdens of the ordinary life. During our time here together, I truly wish that the endeavor is to strengthen the vision of the Dhamma. The vision of the Dhamma being an encouragement to really incline the mind to see what is, just to see clearly. That's all that we are engaging in, beyond the concepts, beyond the ideas, and all the judgments that we have about ourselves and about the practice. Tonight, I'd like to talk about a teaching that is named the Four Reflections, or the Four Contemplations, Mind Changings. Mind Changings in the way that they turn the mind towards the Dharma. These contemplations are part of the Buddhist teachings. And they're quite important as they break down the illusion that we might tend to live in, thinking that the ordinary life is ultimately bringing happiness. And these teachings really allow us to reflect deeply on the purpose of being alive on this earth, the possibility of noticing every time that we are present, deeply touching into the truth of life. The first time I was offered these teachings, just on the four contemplations, they lasted a month. And they were given to me in the Tibetan tradition. That's how I started on my path of dharma. And it was so fascinating to see that as the days were going on and on, um, the mind was just so extraordinarily enthusiastic about applying the practice because these were given in a context of um, a conference or a Dharma teachings when there wasn't practice, it wasn't a retreat setting. And as the days went by, I said, oh, I want to practice. This is really essential. So in the Tibetan tradition and 
it's quite important, you'll see that they also refer to our own practice here. They are said to be the foundations. Just because um, it's mainly essential to know the purpose and the meaning of why we're here and to have a broadened perspective on life and understand exactly what brought you here. We all have, of course, our personal individual motives. And yet, on a universal level, there are common motives that we can refer to when we contemplate on why we're here. So these contemplations can really be taken along on the path until death, it is said. And if they speak to you, if one of these strikes you tonight, please, during your retreat here and even further on, help yourself as you see fit to incline the motivation towards practice if this is helpful for you. The way this is done is totally individual. It can be just a reflection of a few minutes at the beginning of a sitting or just at the beginning of a day or maybe at the end of the day where you really sense that there's been a fulfillment of your day of practice and you can then contemplate that. So the first of these contemplations is the preciousness of human birth. And in the Buddhist teaching, there's a vast cosmology of planes of existence. You know, birth, rebirth, lifespans, and it's countless the number of times it is said that we have had a life in one of the realms or another. There are higher realms, which are the God realms. There are lower realms. Animal realm that we can see very clearly. And there are other realms that are called the hungry ghost realms and the hell realms. Now it's true that in our culture, it's not very easy to connect because we just not are not able to see those realms very clearly unless we have a very powerful mind that can journey into other planes of existence. And it's not really needed. This Tibetan teacher that was teaching for a month had a few Westerners among which... I was, and of course he was explaining in detail the existence of all the beings and what would happen in each realm and the consequences of living and why we are living in one realm and then in another, due, of course, to karma. And sometimes he would really see our skeptical faces as Westerners, and he'd say, you know, you don't need to believe this. It's not important that you believe into the realms of existence. He says, I believe because it's true. But you don't need to believe this to practice. Yet, 
please do the practice because this is what is essential. And do the practice now because there is this absolutely rare opportunity of having a precious human existence, a human body, a human birth. And it's said that the condition that we are in, you and I, is the most appropriate to cultivate and develop the mind towards freedom. Chogim Chungpa, the Kagyu master, said, joyful to have such a human birth, difficult to find, free, and well-favored. And there's a tale from the Buddhist time that speaks of a blind turtle wandering around the depths of the ocean and a golden yoke floating with the currents. And it's said that the turtle only surfaces every hundred years and that the odds of the human birth are said to be the same as the turtle surfacing with his head through the middle of the yoke. Therefore, because it's so rare, we should use every opportunity to turn our mind towards the Dharma. And why is it so fortunate to be human? And you must say, you're kidding, you know, look at all the suffering that is going on in this world. Everywhere we look, there's dukkha. And yes, definitely there is suffering, but there is also happiness. And we are able, as human beings, to sense, to have the sensory experience and to taste peace and freedom. Therefore, we can also develop the causes that lead to the highest peace, to the highest happiness. And this is the peace of Nibbana, the cessation of suffering. So it's even more precious to have the circumstances that we have here on retreat being able to practice. It's not by chance that we're here. You know, you may think that, oh yeah, a retreat, and you just sign up. There are conditions that have favored this coming here. So it's not by luck. And maybe we don't know the past conditions that have gathered all the energy that There can be interest, and not only interest, but that we truly bring ourselves to a retreat place like this one, where there's an engagement, a commitment, total commitment to finding the truth. It's a blessing to be here. And I was very touched today because quite a number of you yesterday and today in the interviews have said how grateful, what gratitude people are feeling to be able to be here. And so there is 
this expression of gratitude. This gratitude must mainly be heading towards yourselves, that you have given yourself this precious opportunity to make the best out of your time here. And certainly, even in this plane of existence, in the human plane, there are many beings that are just not able to have this opportunity just because they're on this plane of existence. And yes, there's a lot of suffering. And yes, they need to focus on survival, on getting food. There's so many diseases, famines, wars. There's so many beings for whom there isn't that possibility of inner development. And even with beings that do hear the Dharma. I have a friend that came with me the first time that I was offered the Dharma that month in Asia. And I was so eager to listen to the Dharma every day. And she, after two days, said, oh, I'm going to go trekking. You know, she just didn't have the karma to stay there. So people do hear the Dharma, and we connect or we don't. Everyone has a different situation. Now, there are many beings for whom it's essential to accumulate wealth, money, goods, and who just don't have the interest and the deeper meaning of life. And so many beings just don't have this connection with what does it mean to be alive and why are we here? So it's really good at times to value the decision that you've taken and also to nurture that aspiration and to have self-respect for yourself. Because this is what will give you and give us the energy to continue when times are hard, when there is difficulty. I was sitting in this hall in 2003 and did a long retreat here, had this wonderful opportunity. And I was sitting with Saido Pandita, And he requires that we work hard. And there were moments when I was clearly sensing that I didn't really nurture my practice to the level that was expected. And he just said at the end of one interview, Just remember 
that you are practicing for liberation. Nothing less than that. So whatever comes in the way, just be patient and meet it. This is what it takes. And he was not saying that in a sense of pushing me to force in any way, but to really relate to the depth of this work. And that often we're so eager to finish with it. You know, let's go on. Liberation is a very, very big task. One moment at a time. That's all I can say. The depth of wisdom will be revealed in this moment. Every moment that there is awareness. The second contemplation or mind-changing is impermanence. And of course, we know that change is happening. And we definitely know this as a fact of life. But to understand this truth, that things change, at a level that we can really meet impermanence here, helps us decondition the grasping. There's a possibility of relaxing so deeply into the truth of the moment and to see phenomena, mind, body, in such a close way that it's not the solidity that we ordinarily meet. There's a way of relating to the moment where when there is a pain in the body, there's a sense of relating to it and connecting to it from a distance. And so there be that sense of solidity. But if we truly connect, deepening with concentration and mindfulness, there's a shift happening in our perception. And we clearly sense the truth of impermanence, that yes, everything, absolutely, every single part of this being is changing. Every cell is modified, every second. There isn't one moment which is similar to another. So there's birth and death of all things. And here, as we connect with the breath, maybe, breath is a concept. When we truly meet the experience, there's no more breath. There's all these different sensations that manifest. And we can clearly notice the ending of a moment of breath, the pause. This, in the truth of the reality, enables us to meet the endings 
of circumstances of life, of separation with other beings. Everything that we meet here will help us understand to let be and to let go. To see all of life and integrate that reality of change is incredibly freeing. There's nothing that we can control. Everything is uncertain. And yes, it may be scary, but there's no other way to understand the freedom of the truth of what is without really connecting to what is. This is from a Tibetan master. He says, but death is real. Do you realize it? Death comes without warning. One day, maybe this day, the body will be a corpse. Impermanence leads from birth to death. Death is the end of birth, and it can come along any moment. Just the other day, I had a friend that was sharing an incredible, powerful experience where they were celebrating her father's birthday. And it was a beautiful ceremony, family gathering. And they were so grateful that this gathering had happened because that very night his heart failed and it was the end of his life. And absolutely nothing could predict this truth in that family. And we're never realizing that death can be so near. You know, it's something that happens out there to others. And of course, when dear ones are touched, suddenly we realize, and it's the mystery of life and death. Karmapa was asked to resume to sum up the essential teachings, Buddhist teachings. And he very simply said, everything changes. Everything arises. Everything falls away. And similarly, when a student of Suzuki Roshi, the great Zen master, was asked to give a word of Buddhism in a nutshell, he simply said, everything changes. All conditioned things are subject to birth and death.
Now, realizing this in our practice, clearly we aspire to the deathless. There is also the deathless, the end of suffering. And that's exactly what motivated the Buddha, the Bodhisattva then, to really look deeply into what is beyond the conditioning of birth and death. We can aspire to the same truth. And we do this again on a very simple level of momentary experience here, of just being able to contemplate every time there is a wanting, something more, the next thing that we think will do it for us. When there's grasping in the mind, how many moments have we had just today where we're pushed to think that this next thing will do it for us? And we've had it maybe, you know? We've had a wonderful day of beautiful weather, hot, warm, hoping that tomorrow will give us the same kind of pleasure. And then, of course, there'll be a moment, a day of rain. And then we'll definitely see the grasping for the warm weather again. This grasping force just goes against the truth of impermanence. Things change. Letting be and letting go allows for the desires to be seen just for what they are. And we're able then to move on with the flow of life much more easily. So I'd suggest just in our practice here, really using mindfulness, that's the ally that we can have here, to notice this truth of change, change of the body, change of mind states, noticing the endings, and sometimes really meeting experience at a microscopic level, which does happen, to let in the change and to be noticing when there's freedom from grasping, how it can be peaceful in the midst of change. In that very moment, there can be an experience of total freedom, momentary freedom from grasping. The third contemplation in mind changing is the law of cause and effect or the law of karma. So we've had the precious human being, birth, the truth of impermanence, which of course leads us to the law of karma. Needing to understand that actions have consequences, 
that all actions bring certain kinds of results. We understand that wholesome actions bring forth wholesome results. And in the same way, when there's wholesome actions, it creates happiness and joy and peace, makes the mind happy. It also is possible to see that very clearly when there's unwholesome actions, pain can come. If there's enough awareness, you can really sense the pain of unwholesome action. And what will drive the mind towards wholesome or unwholesome actions is the force of habit. The more there is an application of the wholesome, there's a tendency of the mind to go towards that direction. And so the positive actions really lead to happiness. And we can sense that peace that can come. Joy, natural joy and ease. But what is so important to see, and here again we have such a wonderful opportunity to see that what brings a result of an action is the motivation. The motive that is behind the action. To notice what is in the mind before we act. And that's a very essential point of these teachings. It really counts to notice what kind of thoughts are present. What is the mind inclined towards? And we can here really watch so precisely the movements of the mind states. How the mind can make us do things. Maybe things that we don't really want to do. And there's a power to seeing and to bringing awareness, to notice what is the motive here that makes me take this action. And to bring this into life. You know, we have, of course, at different times, different motives. The motive may be for liberation, and it may be another moment to just end the suffering. It may be to really understand an emotional holding that we have. Whatever it is that is present, there can be a wholesome motive to see clearly and understand from that experience. Rather than letting the force of the defilement of greed or aversion to take hold. And if there is the force of a defilement of not wanting to see the emotion or a desire to push away, then it's important 
to just let awareness see that for what it is. And then it will just fuel the wisdom. Awareness will clearly help in the sense of taking the direction of freeing the mind rather than having the mind hold on. And this, of course, takes practice. And there's an important piece here is that we need to see the defilements just for what they are. It's important not to think that there shouldn't be any defilement. They're here as stepping stones so that we can clearly understand what is this cause of suffering? How is this conditioning happening in the mind? How can I free this mind from this conditioning, from the grasping, from the clinging? And we can have also the deep motivation of liberation itself. And in our days here, to have this deep motivation of truly seeing clearly is what liberation is about, to just see what is rather than add a layer of judgment. We can sense and have a felt sense of the purpose of our being here. And then in that context of understanding, there's a possibility of meeting the defilements, which will clearly manifest at times, if not at moments, maybe many moments for some of us. Yet these defilements are seen within a greater perspective of wishing the deeper motivation of freeing the mind. Now karma, this law of cause and effect, is very complex. And I was able to really sense the <laughs> the depth of the complexity in a retreat. I sat a few years ago in Upper Burma, and I had a cottage, a little cabin, let's say, not cottage, a cabin, a kuti, um, up in the forest. And it was quite remote, very far from the main center. It was hidden in the rocks, and there was a lot of foliage. And one day when I came back to my little cabin from lunchtime, I opened the door, and there was a visitor inside of the cabin. This visitor was a beautiful snake, very long one, but it had absolutely beautiful colors. It had yellow and black stripes. And my mind was fairly equanimous that it didn't have in that moment a reaction of fear. And it looked at that being with amazement. And there was just this presence of the snake and I. 
And of course, the next thought was, well, you don't belong here. You know, <laughs> uh, I'm going to have to do something to uh, have you out. And so I didn't know if this snake was poisonous or not. So I asked for help. I went back to the main center and the Burmese people who are full of uh, gratitude for our practice came with very uh, a lot of gentleness and they took with a lot of excitement because you don't see a snake every day but they took a little stick and in a split second the snake was out and you know I was happy and then a second later the snake was dead In just one split second, this beautiful animal had lost, of course, its beauty, and it was just a sight of horror to my eyes then. And it felt like I had been hit myself. There was so much openness in that moment that the truth of compassion was really present to my amazement to feel that this being was touched and it could be me. It really could have been me. And then the next thought was, oh my goodness, this is truly wrong action. What have I done? You know, I should have gotten the snake out myself and not called for help and And so, of course, I started weeping, and the Burmese people were quite amazed, didn't know why I was crying. And so the next day I had my interview with the Saido, Saido Lakana, and of course he had heard the story. And he said, oh, you had a visitor and you cried. And I said, yeah. And I teared up in the interview. It was just still present. And he said... Very simply, he said, you don't need to worry about your karma. You just wanted the snake out. I said, yeah, but look at the result. Out of this situation, there's no more snake. And because I had reflected and because it had left a deep impression, I asked about the karma of this Burmese person that I had called for for help to have the snake out and what about his action and the Sayadaw was very clear he said it all depends of the motive of this person's mind when they were doing the action if the motive in the mind was one of aversion, of harming, just to get rid of the snake, then of course it will be a wrong result, an unwholesome result. But if the motive was to save beings because it was a poisoned snake, then it's truly a wholesome action that this person did. So it's not even about the action. It's really what this person had in mind 
What was the thought then that was motivating the action? So we can see again and again this power of motivation before we act and how extraordinary it is to see in our own minds what motivates the mind to do something. Now clearly it being here there's a sense of maybe I'm here on my own and I only take care of this body and mind. And in that reality of that story of the snake, there was no doubt that interconnectedness is truly true. It is real. And everything that we understand in our own mind will have a percolation a result for other beings in the way that when we understand truly how we act for ourselves in a wholesome or unwholesome way, very naturally we'll understand the action of the other and we'll act in a way that will help each other. So there's This law of karma is universal. We understand so deeply the causes of suffering and the causes of freeing the minds from suffering. And here we understand how to do it. So this aspiration of liberation can truly include all beings. And in a way, in the sharing of the blessings, this is exactly what we do. And you may wish to share the blessings at the end of each day to dedicate your work here for the liberation of all beings, that all beings truly see within themselves the truth of freedom. The last and the fourth contemplation is seeing the defects of samsara. And I won't go too much into this because it's really noticing very clearly the truth of suffering when we are lost into worldly, sensory pleasure, concerned about fame, concern about gain and I think that our motivation to be here really makes us understand in a way so deeply that yes there's a limitation to samsaric pleasure and if we're here there's no doubt that we've seen this at least once if not many, many times, that samsaric pleasure just doesn't do it for us. And so we may cling to this world 
for safety, and yet it doesn't give the safety that we deeply yearn for. And so the reverse of just letting the mind float into the samsaric world, and even if we're here, kind of a world of renunciate, there are many things that you have in your ordinary lives that you don't have here, that you need to let go of, just because we want you to feel <laughs> what it is, that it is what it is that is missing, so that we can really see that it's not truly what will bring the freedom that we call the freedom of liberation. But when we can be here on our cushion and just let the mind at times you know, think about all the different things that we could have and that we don't have, all these thoughts that can appear about wanting things, just notice, is it truly essential? And do these thoughts make us happy, or do they make us feel more depressed? Do they bring frustration? Often I feel that when there's a moment of waking up, suddenly I've had maybe half an hour, 20 minutes, five minutes, or even one minute of this wanting mind of something. So unessential, because we relatively know being here that we won't be able to, to have what's out there. But even here, you know, the fantasizing that may go on. And when there's a free and there's a moment of seeing this fantasy, did it really bring what we want to know? It was just a moment of ignorance, of just being caught into grasping, into wanting, into bondage. And there's no problem about that, but it's just to see. Oh, yeah. And so this is the truth of our life here. Together, one moment we'll be entangled in the web of contraction, identification, and it'll feel like being in a very dark room, and it's grim. And one moment we'll wake up, and it will feel like there's every possibility. And the sunshine is in the heart, and everything is possible, and there's such a great appreciation of life and a sense of gratitude. And this is just how we flow with the perspective of awareness that meets every experience in every moment. So we have a variety of choices. 
and we can reflect at times on these contemplations to help us remember what is essential. Contemplating the preciousness of our human birth, of this very situation. Contemplating the law of impermanence, the law of karma. Contemplating the suffering that comes from the endless search in samsara. Remembering that these reflections offer us at any moment the choice that we have that can create more suffering or the choice that we can make to end suffering. With the help of awareness, we can create happiness for ourselves and for others. Let's sit just for a few seconds in silence. As a dedication, I'd like to read the Dalai Lama's prayer that he uses every day. For I am fortunate to be alive. I have a precious human life. I'm not going to waste it. I'm going to use all my energies to develop myself, to expand my heart to others, to achieve enlightenment for the benefit of all beings. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.